Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy, as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website, as well as on this podcast. Space Cargo Unlimited is a European startup dedicated to leveraging the potential of space microgravity research for commercial applications on Earth. The company is developing Rev1, the first orbital manufacturing facility. And my guest is Nicholas Gohm, co-founder and CEO of Space Cargo Unlimited. And Nicholas, welcome back to the podcast. We had you on once before talking about another issue, which we're going to get a follow-up on here in a little bit. But it's always great to see you. Thanks again for coming back on. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Great to be here. For those of the folks who are listening or watching who might not have met you the first time around, tell us just a little bit about Space Cargo Unlimited and what it is you do. So Space Cargo Limited is an eight years old European startup and we really were completely created and founded with my partner, Emmanuel Chapar, with the intent of making um, space manufacturing become a real thing. Uh, it's been researched extensively for the past 30 years, particularly uh, in the most recent decades on the International Space Station. And the impacts on life science, on new materials and uh, agriculture uh, provide so many exciting opportunities. We really wanted to make them accessible to uh, both uh, company involved in manufacturing on, on Earth, as much as obviously the general public for uh, providing all the benefits of uh, increased high value product. Tell me a little bit about your background and, and how you got involved in space and the environment and space manufacturing and the many of the other things that you're involved in in this industry. So I'm primarily a tech entrepreneur. I, I had actually nine different startups. I uh, started in video games when I was 18, so a long time ago. I uh, explored a lot of digital related uh, projects and web, media, uh, mobile, social networks, and really always had a passion for space. Uh, and as things you know, became, let's say, more accessible with cost of infrastructure going down, launch costs going down, we, we felt there was the moment to create Space Cargo Unlimited. And, you know, I think that uh, when you get older, you really want to have more impact. And as I said, the, the research um, on the space station um, primarily has shown so many high value potential. We really wanted to be the one that could make creative decision and, and hopefully grounded decision to make that become a reality for most of us on Earth. Speaking of that uh, research you've just conducted on the International Space Station, you did have a successful mission over the course of the past year, and it involved one of my set favorite subjects, which is wine. <laughs> so, and I understand the wine came back, and just give us an update on on how the characteristics of the wine changed sure. after so, having been aged on the space station. To, to put, if you allow me, Tom, to put things in, in context for 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 those sure. of. Uh, or your listeners that we didn't have a chance to follow what we did. So we did a pilot mission on agriculture and we decided to focus on the particular topic of viticulture um, with the intent of learning and, and you know pretty much bringing what we would learn in viticulture to other areas of agriculture. Just wanna say that uh, for context. Now viticulture is interesting because it's, it's quite a lucrative agricultural segment, which means they are high level, high, highly skilled and, and great research infrastructure we could leverage. And as you really go into the unknown, it's good to start with really solid basis. Um, we obviously also have a passion for wine and wine also had a lot of interesting uh, 
history when it comes to life science. You may know that the French scientist Louis Pasteur um, actually studied wine for eight years, and that's where he actually identified bacteria, which arguably defined a lot of things in today's modern life science. Uh, he also invited pasteurization, the process of uh, uh, keeping you know, things uh, eatable uh, for wine. Didn't work out that well for wine, but he actually applied it to dairy products, and there you go. So wine is a key component of some of the historical research. And it's interesting because there's a lot of multi, it's a multi-component liquid with a lot of key uh, components, bacteria, uh, yeast, uh, polyphenol, and so studying wine was a fantastic study materials to better understand life on earth and still a lot of key things related to uh, life science and of course wine itself. Uh, so the wine to answer your questions was different. Uh, we will be publishing a paper hopefully this winter spring depending the peer review uh, time which is not an exact science itself mm. uh, but we have actually identified some very exciting um, differentiation. But to the tasting itself, the wine was quite similar to the nose, a little more brick color to the eye. And when you drunk it, it was much more floral. Now, mm. evaluation and tasting was different from, uh, you know, different testers, tasters, but it was, was all, all, all up seen as different, perceived as different for pretty much the entire people who had a chance to drink both uh, the earth and space wine. So quite exciting uh, outcome. Uh, just for the record, we also launched, uh, so we launched these bottles on the space station for uh, 14 months. Mm -hmm. And, and as I said, we'll be publishing, uh, the outcomes of our research, uh, next year, let's say. We also brought to the space station, uh, 320 vine plants, Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon, which aged, which evolved differently after the exposure to the space environment, which was mm -hmm. really what we are intended to, to capture. And uh, there too, we'll continue to publish our research. We already published some of it. Uh, we had a very uh, good uh, conference in Houston uh, in November explaining the, the, the detail of outcomes. And in a nutshell, these variety of plants we exposed to space evolved differently than their uh, initial twins on Earth, which was in itself super exciting. And then more, even more exciting, the space plant uh, showed very exciting uh, resilience capacity against some of the climate change uh, related um, challenges from uh, hydric test, uh, temperature, you know, stresses, and, and along with some disease like uh, mildew specifically, which is a disease that is very uh, lethal to agriculture and to vine plants. So very excited about that research and very excited about the progress. We also had a third uh, launch we did with Blue Origin, Blue Origin Suborbital, where we put some of these uh, vine uh, plant cells exposed to the uh, climate change stresses I was referring to, that allowed us to do a better experiment on our third flight with the ISS. But all these three flights showed us, uh, you know, the inside of what it is to be a, a lab or a company willing to capture the um, space opportunity to make high value product on earth, high value product that you wouldn't be able or you hardly be able to uh, manufacture on earth. And, and that's really what led to eventually uh, work on this project. We are here to talk about Rev1. And that's a perfect segue because that's what caught my interest when I saw a news release about Rev1. It's a partnership with, I believe it's Thales. Is that how you pronounce that? Thales Alinea Space? Yes, Thales Alinea Space, which is a large European uh, space uh, manufacturing company. They build satellites, but also building a lot of exciting components. They actually, roughly manufactured half of the ISS, including the Coppola, which mm -hmm. is this, this uh, great uh, window of honor for uh, all astronauts. 
uh, Axiom is outsourcing a lot of their work, uh, of their new modules to to uh, to Talisania Space and and you know uh, vehicles like the Cygnus from Northrop Grumman is also mainly made in this same factory we'll be using, uh, based in Torino in the northern part of Italy. So that that's an exciting partner who actually was also involved in our wine mission because they, mm -hmm. in partnership with Nanorax, they built the, the canister where we put our bottles of wine into. So it's a long lasting partnership that is becoming a very big partnership for, for them as much as for us. So what is Rev1? So Rev1 is really effectively a, a pressurized space vehicle that is gonna fly two months in low earth orbit. Uh, aboard the, the, the vehicle will be a manufacturing device that will be uh, addressing a variety of opportunities from life science uh, bioreactor to cultivate some stem cells to uh, 3D printing uh, units that will manufacture new materials. Uh, again, all of them seizing the particular condition of the space environment. And, and the idea is to be a factory. So basically we'll okay. have clients chartering us for a uh, flying their production units and flying them back to earth uh, with their uh, produced uh, materials or research. So that's, that's a very uh, simple flying factory, uh, simple to describe, harder mm -hmm. to build, uh, but a flying <laughs> factory with a two month uh, average mission in space. So give me an idea of about the, the, the approximate size that Rev1 is going to be. I mean, can you compare it to a space shuttle or to the XB-37? Kind of what are we looking at? So we're actually using uh, uh, an existing vehicle to start the work. So Europe has been, European Space Agency and the Italian Space Agency have been uh, working on, on a vehicle called IXV, which actually flew now eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And now working on an, an, an enhanced edition named Space Rider. Uh, and so these, uh, these, uh, both these vehicles have, have been really uh, empowering uh, Space Cargo, I'm sorry, Talis and Space to begin with. To, uh, to build and certify key components, like, uh, you know, key components of the vehicle all up, which we're gonna leverage for our own uh, design. And that's what, what make it uh, quite exciting for us to, to work with them. So it's, it's um, roughly, um, to give you a size that I'm trying to convert my meters into feet uh, <laughs> to make sure I'm not getting lost, but it's about 15 feet long. Okay. Uh, just so you see uh, the size, it's about one ton a pressurized space cargo, and it's about 1,200 liters uh, in terms of volume of the pressurized cargo. So what kind of manufacturing can be done in that space? Because people think about a factory and they think about big sprawling acres and acres and acres of, of heavy machinery. What do you do so, in, in that size and space? So we got to primarily focused on, on two areas, life science and, and new materials. Uh, and really we're gonna look into a reasonably sized uh, uh, hardware equipment, similar to the one you can see on the ISS. So think about a 3D printer, uh, you know, so it's really a unit that is the side of a big printer, uh, roughly, uh, all automated. That's one of the characteristics that is super important because uh, research on the ISS is done with humans, astronauts mm -hmm. conduct experiment all throughout the day. And, and without them, we wouldn't have the quality of research that we have. Now, when it comes to scaling and manufacturing, the humans that are so powerfully empowering research become an obstacle because safety is of paramount importance. And if you manufacture a cable or if you uh, grow plants, in all fairness, you wouldn't want to compromise the, the life of an astronaut to the detriment. <laughs> so we, we want to make sure, you know, we, we remove that 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 uh, choice and focus solely on manufacturing. Obviously, human safety also 
increase the cost significantly of any vehicle. So as we see space station uh, being replaced by, by private space station, we're really excited about how this will continue to push the research further. But to, to really go into um, scaling manufacturing, uh, a fully automated vehicle is really the, the only viable option, we think. And we're building this vehicle in a very inside out perspective. So we're really starting with the payload and what we need to make successful manufacturing campaign to manufacture, uh, you know, meter, meters, inches and, and, and feet of, of, uh, of a fiber optics, you know, and you need a 3D printers and you can build this fiber optic named Ziblan. It's quite well known for anybody looking at uh, in space manufacturing. Uh, Ziblan is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, actually a fiber that's been invented by a French company. Uh, it's based on fluor instead of the typical silicium that you have for a normal uh, fiber optic. And when you use it with certain frequency, it's so much more conductive. So it's actually used with a laser comms and a number of specific mm -hmm. um, manufacturing or military usage. And this fiber is called exotic fiber is extremely valuable and pretty much impossible to really create or manufacture on earth at a large length. So building a 3D printer, there's a number of units that have been tested by a number of great company, uh, many in the US. Uh, into space, you can actually manufacture, again, a uh, very valuable payload uh, in space for two months. Uh, life science is really where, where it got us most excited. We have a lot of opportunity to build specific uh, high value um, research materials. When you look at proteins, you know, uh, for looking at new uh, medication, you need to crystallize proteins to study them. And the protein crystals uh, in space are bigger uh, more, uh, you know, rounder and easier to to uh, to analyze to find uh, potential cure or new medication processes. So, you know, protein crystallization is something you can do in in a in a small unit that is again the same size of of a, of a. I'll keep the printer as a reference. Everybody has a printer at home sure. that give you a sense of the size of it. Um, and so, all these various payloads will 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 be one to next each other. We haven't disclosed the. Uh, the the unicity of the way we establish our payload infrastructure but it is pretty unique pretty innovative i believe and it will provide all the necessary uh, power heat management uh, as long as much as as really a, a very stable environment uh, our vehicle is really geared towards a very sensitive payload to accommodate sensitive payload by being able to have late late payload as design as much as late, late you know early retrieval went back on earth with very smooth lending. So we also wanna make sure we pay uh, close attention to the quality of what it is we provide our customer with. So again, multi-purpose um, vehicle, uh, focus on in-space manufacturing. I'm talking with Nicholas Gome, co-founder and CEO of Space Cargo Unlimited on the Xterra podcast. Take a moment right now to click on subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Nicholas, I'm getting the, the sense from the description that you're giving me of the Reb1 vehicle that it's it's kind of reminiscent of the uh, uh, Sierra Space Dream Chaser. It'll launch vertically, recover horizontally, and be a completely reusable vehicle. Is that a pretty good assessment? Yes, I mean, you know, we estimate that, well, actually Morgan Stanley estimate that the, the business of in-space manufacturing will be a roughly 20 billion by 2040. We believe it will be actually bigger sooner. So there's no doubt that a lot of 
vehicle will be able to seize that opportunity. So first of all, there are a number of great companies in the US, in the UK and worldwide uh, raising funds to seize that potential. Uh, as for the vehicle itself, yes, as I said, we, we're similar to, 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 to uh, Sierra Nevada vehicle and any other principle that is like a shuttle style, you know, flying on the top of a rocket, flying back home. Um, we using an existing vehicle, as I said, IXV and, and Space Rider. So we were not really innovative in the way that we designed the vehicle. We've been very innovative in the way we, again, accommodate the payload infrastructure and the entire uh, really manufacturing setup, which is really our core competence. That's also why, by the way, we, we teamed up with Talisania Space with a great background and with a very unique partnership between a small startup and a large organization. I think we make something that provide a very viable business case while providing the robustness of, of a top-notch uh, space manufacturing company worldwide and the agility and let's say the, the creativeness, uh, especially when it comes to go-to-market that I think we've demonstrated uh, in the past. Now, your plan is to get uh, Rev1 into orbit in 2025. Um, what kind of lifetime are you expecting on, on the vehicle? Are you looking at a fleet of them? Uh, how many times can they be reused? What are some of those details? So we do plan to have a fleet of vehicle. It has to depend on the success of our business, of course. Sure. But we, we're confident enough to, to consider a fleet of vehicle. We'll be uh, we're targeting at 20 uh, reusable, so 20 flights per vehicle. Uh, and the idea is to have one to two flights per year for each vehicle. So, you know, you establish anywhere between five to 10 years for a vehicle. Now, having said that, we hope to be able to also um, refurnish this vehicle in an effective manner and extend the lifetime. So we will be looking at how things go uh, when we start operating, but that's the goal. You're obviously talking about an unmanned and autonomous system. What kinds of technologies are already available and what do you still need to develop to be able to conduct these kinds of exper uh, experiments in space without having any human intervention? So, you know, I, 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 I have other lives besides Space Cargo Limited, and one of them is I'm very fortunate to work uh, at Microsoft and, be, and lead the, the space uh, activities of Microsoft uh, partnerships and, and global expansion. And it happens that Microsoft has a lot of exciting technology. For instance, others exist. I think Microsoft is the best one, uh, but others <laughs> exist uh, when it comes to digital twin or IoT sensors and remote control. And so we definitely will leverage this existing technology uh, that is available out there and the power of Azure uh, cloud computing to, to, to kind of sustain our, our, our work and be able to be fully in control of the manufacturing units and the vehicle itself while in flight. So we're very excited about what this technology can provide. You know, more globally, I think that when you look at it, there's a lot of exciting components of our vision that's becoming very available, very affordable. Well, let me say very affordable. Let's say much more affordable than it used to be. Um, so we talked about leveraging an existing vehicle with IXV and Space Rider to build Rev1. Talked about what Microsoft uh, is developing in terms of um, control, in terms of processing, in terms of remote management and all the technology stack from, again, the cloud itself, Azure, to the IoT uh, setup. Uh, so, you know, as we move forward, we, we look at aggregating all these technologies to make something fairly unique. Um, you know, a lot of engineers start with this uh, uh, NIH syndrome, you know, not invented here. I need to reinvent any, <laughs> everything to make it great. We are much more humble and we'll go to the SWP approach, which is stolen with pride. Uh, <laughs> in, in all fairness, we're not stealing, we're buying. Uh, but we feel that, you know, we should really be a fabulous, very focused on in-space manufacturing organization, 
try to look what works best. Uh, you know, and I've been a managing startups. I'm a, I'm a developer, software developer to begin with, but always been interested in analyzing how things work, optimize, look at the, the, the you know, the short optimization paths for success. And what we're doing really is looking at, at constantly uh, everything with a reusability angle, a testable angle, with an effectiveness angle. Uh, and it's quite different from the more traditional government program where everything needs to be perfect and over over tested, therefore sometimes over engineered and have cost of operation that are really get out of control. We're very much looking for optimization. I started hacking software. I started uh, you know, coding in assembly language. So I love this notion of using every byte of memory in an effective manner. And it grew on me as I got older. So all our team culture is really around uh, if we do something it has to be fully effective and fully um, effective for the purpose of what we're doing it for. Uh, and that's really the spirit of, of what we're building here. You said Rev1 is based on, a, on an existing spacecraft design. What about the launch system? Will it be compatible with any launch system? Do you have something proprietary? What's That's kind of my last operational detail I want to get out of you. No, it's a good, it's an important <laughs> detail. Uh, we really designed the vehicle to be absolutely uh, compatible with a large variety of launchers. And we would like to be, make sure we are able to fly with any of these, these launch. And you know, there are quite a few being developed worldwide. Um, because European, there's a number of European uh, solutions that are kind of obvious. Uh, Vega C from Avio is flying IXV and Space Rider. It's a great Italian and European uh, rocket manufacturing company, which we, we are we are engaged with to, to mm -hmm. discuss the launch options. There are other great options we'll be uh, unveiling next year, which is this year, if I guess <laughs> this is. <laughs> by the time, Just, by the time folks by see and hear this, air, yeah. Yes, yes. And so, and, and we're very excited. I mean, I'm, I'm personally uh, quite excited by a number of uh, launch solutions. I'm eagerly waiting for Relativity to launch their, their rocket. I'm a huge fan of SpaceX like a lot of us. So, you know, I'm looking at all the options, obviously looking at Blue Origin and many, many others. So we'll be looking at what works best for this vehicle and obviously what's bring the best uh, cost to uh, to optimize our, our, our full services to our customers. I want to take a minute and talk just a little bit about Orbit because I wanted to get a uh, just a quick update on how that project is going. It's your your astronaut uh, training program that I know you're setting up in different places around the around the world. So, what's the update on Orbit and how far along have you come along with that? So, Orbit is a, is a company I co-founded with Jason Andrews, with a well-known space entrepreneur who was behind Black Sky, Leo Stella, or Spaceflight. Um, is, is a dear friend, a wonderful partner, uh, is the CEO of Orbit. But we really, both him and I realized that, uh, as you saw, amazing company like SpaceX, like Virgin, like Axiom, like Virgin Galactic, and others working on, on providing, uh, you know, commercial human spaceflight opportunities, um, we felt there was a, a quite a lack of, of service, of training uh, infrastructure. There's a lot of great training entities uh, around the country and internationally, so don't get me wrong, but we didn't think there was uh, one cohesive place to train a uh, mm -hmm. campus with the right level of service and, and quality with a very people-centric approach. So it happens that I actually uh, own a hotel and a restaurant in the southwest of France. Uh, it's a boutique hotel, one of very successful boutique hotel that uh, my, my actually great-granddad built, my hmm. granddad managed and my, grand, my, my, my father and mother managed. So I kind of was born as an hotelier and, and really did every single job in a hotel and restaurant. So I guess that's part of my DNA. And, you know, again, looking at the way that most of the great space sports of America are surrounded by 
let's say affordable hotels and, and not always very, again, unified and, and scattered uh, training centers, we thought it would be a great way to build something uh, of the highest quality. So we hired Philip Stark, which is a very well-known uh, hotel designer and started working on this in parallel of securing an amazing place, which we haven't disclosed yet in the United States, uh, and starting our own trainings, which we did in, in Florida, nearby uh, Cape Canaveral, as much as in the southwest of France, uh, where my hotel is, but also where is uh, the headquarters for the French Space Agency, where all the zero-G flight from Europe, uh, train the European Space Agency flight from. So we could really benefit from this infrastructure test the variety of the space training experiences we, we, we are excited to provide to the large public. And I've been really very fortunate to have an amazing success with, with the demand. So as we refine our offering with a great team, uh, we are eagerly waiting for next year where we'll be announcing next year being this year, 2023, uh, announcing <laughs> uh, where our location for this campus will be, but uh, really moving great and very excited about this project. Look out, if you will, uh, Nicholas, and I know we asked you this last time and maybe your answer's changed, maybe it hasn't, but just kind of give us a forecast over the next 10 to 15 years of kind of what you see coming in the realm of space commerce. Well, you know, I, I, even though I'm fortunate to work at Microsoft on the Azure Space Solution, even though I'm fortunate to be the co-founder and CEO of Space Cargo, even though I'm co-founder and executive chairman of Orbit, I really consider myself still as a newbie in space. So I, I really humbly look at the great leaders uh, uh, of this industry and the great designers, engineers that are forging the future. But I think, you know, when it comes to uh, my own take, and I think it's more philosophical, I think that I, I can see a, a great divide between escapists and, and earth lovers. Uh, you can argue you can be both. I believe you can't be both easily. And I really look at space as a great opportunity for earth. I look at space for a great opportunity to invent the product that we will need on Earth for tomorrow to have a, a enjoyable, sustainable life, um, despite the challenges that humanity is uh, imposing on Earth. That's what Space Cargo is all about. I truly believe that all the, the people that will be fortunate, still very expensive, but it become more and more accessible uh, to, to fly into space. And I think that as we move forward and bring more humanity into space, it should be first and foremost for all the people staying on Earth that won't benefit from this overview effect as much as all the resources we'll be able to capture in space for Earth. Uh, I'm a big believer in obviously planetary resources coming from you know, rare materials that we will have a hard time you know, extracting from Earth uh, moving forward that we'll be able to find plenty in uh, various celestial bodies. And, and, and so I, I really tend to believe that space is super important for the future Earth but it's all about Earth and humanity on Earth. And so, certainly the infrastructure that is being built, the, you know, the amazing revolution that Starship represents, the, the great plans that NASA is supporting with great stations, what China is doing, all this contributes to a, a future man in space, which I think is a very exciting opportunity for all of us on Earth. So what does the ability to manufacture in space do for that overall space economy? What, what, what is that benefit that you're hoping to bring to your customers? So as I said, you know, stem cells develop 10 times faster in space than they do on Earth. But you could think of many different applications. Tomorrow, someone will be burned to badly on Earth, will be able to grow its own skin into space and, and really retrieve uh, good health, where today it's really not possible. You'll be able to, I mean, I was, we're working with, um, 
uh, we actually had, I had a discussion, let's put it that way, with Genethon, which is one of the, the you know, very specific genetic uh, research company uh, working on rare disease and doing some very specific DNA treatment based, um, which look at the space environment as a unique environment to create the next generation of medication they work for. And they cost a ton of money on earth. They could really bring down the cost significantly down with, with the space environment. You look at new materials, when you merge two new materials on earth, the heavier one goes down, the lighter one goes up because of gravity. Imagine you remove gravity, you can do perfect alloys. If you go into the, the, the very tiny little uh, miniaturization, if you look at optical length, optical length are, are really super hard at a low, at the small, tiny uh, lens level to be able to make them perfect. So space will allow you to do that. Whereas on earth, you'll have to do a lot of work to get there. Um, computer electronics, you know, you need to have perfect white rooms if you go to a very small, uh, computer uh, microprocessor and, 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 and go to the smallest possible. Well, space provide a naturally uh, 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 natural uh, white room so you can leverage that. You know, and, and when you start looking into all the opportunities, you realize that the change of status from, you know, liquid to solid, solid to gas is a very interesting moment to capture uh, unique opportunities. On our plants, we realize that what evolved most in the plants were bacteria the biome mm -hmm. surrounding our plants and realize that we now have a very interesting um, solution for a lot of agricultural product we're working on. So as I said, it's it's mind blowing the amount of opportunities you can seize in space for earth. And that's what RevOne is all about, unleashing that opportunity for labs, for you know small, medium businesses and larger company to seize that manufacturing potential. And it's still way too expensive. More importantly, it's very unpredictable. Today, uh, the space station provides unique opportunity. And I think, honestly, NASA is doing such a phenomenal work uh, like they did for our wine and vine plants. Uh, but it's still very much depending on a lot of political constructs. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, because when you, you know, exploring Mars or the moon, you need to do a human spaceflight experiment. It's going to be prioritized among your plants and you'll be bumped to the next flight and so on, which is perfectly normal and understandable. But if you want to go to at scale and become more commercial, you need reliability. You need to have predictable launch date. You need to have predictable outcomes uh, that you can work on and monitor during the flight. Again, all this we think we can provide and, and bring the, 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 the opportunity further and becoming more real for Earth. You know, you talk about getting off Earth, would you go? Because I, when I bought my lottery ticket back when it was a billion dollars, I said, if I, if I, if I win, I'm going to space. <laughs> I definitely uh, love love the opportunity, and I think that it will become sooner than you think. Uh, now it's certainly uh, very exciting to see all the great work being done. So I definitely want to go. <laughs> well, uh, you you may make it. I I'm probably too old at this point, but uh, I'll wish you good luck. And Look, Will, William Shatner, come on. You still well, there's that. Up. Okay, <laughs> Bill, Bill went at ninety. Maybe maybe I've got a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, we're out of time. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, and, Tom. Uh, it's been great to just catch up a little bit. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me. Nicholas Gohm is co-founder and CEO of Space Cargo Unlimited. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel and be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. Also get daily space commerce news at XterraJSC.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at XterraJSC. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.